0: Welcome to the Crushing Cash Flow Podcast, where we share phenomenal advice and dozens of decades of wisdom from investors and entrepreneurs of all types and all stages of their journeys. We'll cover many forms of cash flowing assets, such as real estate, stock investing, entrepreneurship, and general finance guidance. Listen in and learn from those who are crushing it out there, as well as those who have been crushed by business or their investments. Now, here's your host, Andrew Shutsky.
1: Welcome back to another episode of Crush and Cashflow. I've got a special guest with me today. Welcome to the show, Denise. How are you?
2: Good. How are you doing, Andrew?
1: Doing, doing fantastic. So I'll give you guys a recap on Denise's background. So Denise Piaz is the co-founding partner of One Street Capital, a newly formed partnership. She began working within the real estate industry in 2004 through several tax and accounting engagements while employed at a CPA firm. She continued to build a network of real estate investors and learned from the best practices in investing during that time. She's been involved in over hundred million dollars in real estate transactions. Really impressive there. She's now a limited partner in close to 1200 units of multifamily and a general partner over 400 units and has raised millions of dollars of private capital in a very short time on my dad. She also runs a monthly real estate investing meetup group, in Pennsylvania, which I've actually been to. It's really great. Denise, I know it was a lot in a short period of time. Welcome to the show.
2: <laughs> Thank you. Thank you so much for having me.
1: So let's start. You started as a limited investor, kind of for those listening and may not know that term. And someone who is actively investing in a deal, you know, sponsoring it in terms of providing capital, but not actively running the deal. Let's talk about your experience there, right? I love the, the fact that you started that, you got the perspective of an LP. What have you learned in the last couple of years is being, you know, a limited investor in the background? Yes.
2: Yeah. yeah. So if I could go all the way back just be, even before I invested passively, one benefit of being a CPA, which there aren't many because, you know, you're not exactly the front of the line for popularity. <laughs> but yep. the one yep. benefit is when I started doing a lot of tax work you know when i first graduated from school about 20 years ago now basically i noticed that one of the common denominators in a lot of you know the clients that i had and the prep work that i did one of the common denominators was real estate holdings real estate investments and so i took a mental note to that and i knew that that was something i needed to have in my portfolio I understood the tax benefits associated with them and doing those, you know, getting that exposure to tax work. And then, you know, I basically was able to utilize some of the folks in that network as I had, you know, formed relationships with them to, you know, sort of leverage their experience Mm -hmm. to jump in when I was ready. And I actually had enough capital after years of being on the W-2 side and, you know, gaining that liquidity and the network that you need. So once I got there, I was, you know, started, you know, asking around for good operators, which asset classes made the most sense, things of that nature. And I probably took a little bit of a different path than maybe some folks, because I know some folks probably listening to your show might know a lot about multifamily. But at the time, I knew a little bit about everything. So we invested in you know some triple net leases. We did some commercial retail on Maine and Maine in some great locations. We did single family, a little bit of that multifamily investments as well. And so I really took the time to get to know the different types of asset classes. And the types of returns that were typical and the whole periods that were typical and how they worked in terms of rent growth and things of that nature. And when leases turn over, you know, so which is really important to consider during inflationary time periods, how quickly, you know, your leases. So. You know, I'd like to think that I got exposure to a lot of different areas and that I use that exposure and especially with different operators to develop a passion for multifamily, which is what I'm most heavily invested in from an LP perspective and from a general partner perspective. We do own one office building, which is fully leased, which I like to tell everyone because of (laughs) COVID. It's a point of concern for sure. It is a point of concern. Yeah. I mean, we own that outright. We don't have, well, there's, a few partners, but they're you know it's basically everyone's got proportionate ownership, so there's no limited investors on that, so yeah, so I mean, like I said, I think I just leveraged that experience, that network, and tried to gauge what made the most sense for me and for my financial goals.
1: That's great, so looking back, you know, a couple of years when you started looking for operators, and no doubt you've learned a lot quite in between those that time period right now. As you're scrutinizing and looking for operators, what are you looking for? You know, what red flags should people look out for? What positive signals should people look out for? What would be your advice for someone who's looking at it again, sitting on the sideline, you know, tell us what you know, tell us what you learned maybe painfully over the last couple of years. Yeah, Yeah,
2: absolutely. So being a CPA and my husband's a CPA as well. So given that I'll say The one thing that I learned not to do, most importantly, is only consider the pro forma associated with the offering. Don't solely focus on the projections associated with the deal, especially when you don't have a background you know, with that particular operator, because the reality is without the tools that maybe, you, you know, folks like you and I have, Andrew, you know, we pay thousands of dollars a year to get exposure to various tools that allow us to see what the rent growth is in certain markets, what pro forma rents should look like. And without that knowledge, I mean, the reality is folks can make the pro forma look like whatever they want sure. it to look like. sure. So don't solely focus on the financial metrics and coming from a finance and accounting background, that was really difficult for me because, you know, I mean, that's obviously when you're first diving in, that's your number one factor. But the reality is there's a lot of other things to consider. There's the market and, you know, how much growth has taken place in the market, what's going on. What are the contributing factors to that growth? Is there enough diversity in employment? You know, what's the median household income in the area? Things of that nature. And then in terms of the operator, you know, personally, now we've developed enough connections within this industry that I really invest with people that I know and I trust. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and I look at their track record. I look at what they've done. I look at their assets. In, or someone within the team's assets in a given area, because to me, that speaks to the price point that they're going to be able to achieve in terms of a purchase price on a deal. I mean, the reality is 80 to 85% of deals trade with existing owners. So if someone on the team has an existing asset, their probabilities of getting a better purchase price are significantly improved. You know, they're also look at how many asset managers do they have? Have they kept up with their employees as they scaled their business. Or if one person on the team that, you know, one asset manager gets hit by a bus tomorrow, does everything, you know, sort of crash and burn because they can't keep up with all their property management teams because the asset manager Managing the property manager and making sure that they're meeting their KPIs and their pro forma goals and all the things of that, you know, that basically you and your investors are anchoring to.
1: You hit on a great point. And it's something I've learned, you know, in both the operator side and the LP side is, you know, the importance of the team behind the crew, right? So if you've got one guy who's done I want to you know, use an example in my past, 3,500 units in the last couple of years. And he's also, he's the guy dealing with the brokers. He's also flying out to every property every week. Right. Something's going to suffer, right? You know, right. And it's typically communication with us as investors or partners, it's going to be, you're not going to be able to stay on top of the properties, right? So you bring up a great point, like look past the financials. The numbers tell you yeah. one thing, what are the assumptions behind them? What's the team behind it and in place? What's their track record? Have they done a full cycle? Have they exited properties successfully? I always like to question, give me an example of when something's gone wrong. Cause if you've been in this business for more than a year or two, sure. you know, if they're not willing to be honest about that and open with that, <laughs> it speaks volumes right. of character, right? So, Absolutely.
2: Yes. The more transparency you have up front, I find, you know, extremely comforting when it comes to, you know, placing your money into other people's hands. For sure. you know, (laughs) And also understanding, like, you know, going back to the team, understanding what everyone's role is going to be so that you can gauge whether or not, you know, that person that's going to perform really the post acquisition role of asset management has the experience of doing so.
0: Yeah,
1: you're right. you got a guy or a gal who's been a table server for a decade, right. somehow they're right. six months later, an asset manager, they're probably yeah. not going to be super effective.
2: Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly.
1: And believe it or not, you see that, right? You go on LinkedIn, you know, if you dig into the team and then they, I've seen that situation where like, oh, yeah. this guy was in insurance sales for yeah. you know, a decade. Right. Now he's an asset manager. <laughs> right. It,
2: it makes perfect sense. <laughs> yes.
1: Yeah, exactly. So I want to jump in. You've got the CPA mindset and it's awesome from underwriting. A lot of people listening are not going to have, you know, the rigor that you and I put into underwriting, but maybe you could take us through your process. Like if I'm approaching this from a limited investor, or maybe you're looking to partner with somebody on the active side, what are your thought process? What big steps would you take or what could you walk us through? What does your underwriting process look like at a high level?
2: Right. Well, I would just say the reality is that the two most important factors when you're underwriting deals are exit cap rates and the pro forma rent analysis. So, you know, as a limited investor, I would look at their metrics in terms of you know what assumptions they're using for those factors like cap rates and rent growth, and you know see how conservative they are when it comes to that. And then the other thing is see how much they've stress tested their occupancy, their cap rate stress test, things of that nature, and just make sure that they're really giving it you know the full vet check that they need to do. But, you know, a lot of times I basically tell a lot of my investors, you know, we take a lot of comfort in not only the underwriting that we do, but the AI that we use Mm -hmm. to get there. So the market based data that, you know, we're obtaining from, as I said, systems that we spend thousands of dollars a year on to get comfortable on right growth assumptions, what the rents are in that market. And some of the key factors like, you know, where properties have traded in the last several years and things of that nature. So, you know, that you can feel good about those assumptions.
1: That's great. And I'll just emphasize here, you don't need to be an expert. There's a reason you have people like you and I on a team to be the experts, but it's important if you're looking at investing to know what questions to ask. And the simple way of putting it is if you're making an assumption behind underwriting, whether it be rent growth or exit cap, in your case, you mentioned show me a comparable that's traded for that. Right. Or show me where you're getting those rents. And if that right. makes sense, it makes sense. If it doesn't make sense, then if it's the right. first example, it might be a red flag. Right.
2: Right. Yeah. Awesome. And another thing that I've done over the years, and again, this is probably from my, just my rigorous background is yeah. I, now I won't invest with someone who doesn't let me review the model. Mm-hmm. If there's something that they are trying to hide or, you know, that they feel uncomfortable with sharing I just will not invest with them because I, you know, that's my area of expertise. You know, I might yeah. not be able to confirm that they have every single KPI that they should once they acquire the asset, but I know where they're being conservative and whether someone's being
0: too
1: yeah. There should be nothing proprietary about right. sharing what you, you don't have to share the ins and outs of your actual right. working model, but I need to know right. the parameters, you're, what, right. what assumptions you're making, right. Or behind the market, behind your expenses, behind all those different levers. You mentioned rent growth and exit cap for sure. But yeah, that was always you know, kind of shady to me. If you're looking to engage with either a partner or invest with someone, I don't know why you know, you're sharing the pro forma. Why not share the rest of the other levers as well? Right.
2: Exactly.
1: Awesome. Let's talk about your meetup group, right? You run a highly successful group in the Philadelphia area. Here, you've got some great presenters. Why did you start the group? What benefits has it brought to you and to other people that were attending?
2: Yeah, I mean, again, when I first started, you know, all of my experience was from a passive investor perspective. I wanted to continue to gain exposure to a lot of people who are doing what I want to do, or they're in similar situation as me. They are, you know, invested passively, or they have a few properties a few smaller properties like single family or smaller multifamily and they want to, you know, basically see what it takes to scale their business. So, you know, the benefit of having it and being the host of that meetup is the reality is eventually everybody knows who I am. You know, you might be coming together to, you know, and I might be presenting a speaker and introducing them to the group, but the reality is everybody knows me and they know that what I do, my background, you know, I always have a handout on what we're doing, where we're focused, the types of returns that we look for, and things of that nature. So, you know, it's been great. The reality is, though, too, and I think I mentioned this to you the last time we spoke, is It's so great to see just all the networking that that ends up happening out of it and people meeting one another who might have complementary skill sets and can work together on a project or they happen to be looking in the same market and they want to work together. I mean, especially coming out of COVID. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was just so unbelievable to see when we got everyone back in person. I do some virtual ones as well, but we've had quite a few in person and it's just been awesome to see everyone connecting.
1: What advice would you give someone who's thinking about pulling the trigger and starting a meetup group or starting maybe starting a podcast, some thought leadership platform? What advice yeah. would you have for that? Yeah,
2: I would say absolutely run with it. I yeah. mean, you don't have to be the expert in every single area. That's why you bring in guests or other hosts or you know folks that might be the expert in an area that you're looking to grow or scale. So, and then again, it's just offered me the ability to talk to so mm-hmm. many different people and just meet folks of all different backgrounds and who have all different types of goals. And, you know, it's really great when you can end up connecting one person to another who, you yeah. know, is looking for someone who's doing, you know, work that they can leverage off of one another. It's pretty cool.
1: Absolutely. I'll add to that. I mean, a lot of the times I'll talk to people about this, you know, whether it's a podcast or a meetup group or some type of, you know, YouTube channel. And times you hear like, well, there's so many out there already. And that's true. But you know what? Yeah. No one will do it like you or I do it. You know, right. Everybody puts their own thumbprint to it. And it's funny because Denise and I actually just got back from a conference when we were with you know, a thousand other investors, like-minded yes. investors. And every time you talk yes. to someone about, oh yeah, you know, I have a podcast or I have a meetup group, people's eyes still light up. So you know, yeah. yes, there's a lot of them out there, but right. there's always that point of engagement where like, wow, maybe I'm in your area or maybe I'm dialed into that topic you're talking about. So you shouldn't hold back because there's others out there because no one will do it like you do it. So right. Exactly. Awesome. So this has been great. Time's flown by, Denise. For those listening who want to get in touch with you, want to learn more about you and your firm and talk and talk and talk shop, talk investing, or maybe even talk Northeast Philly. How do yes. they get in touch with you?
2: <laughs> yes, you can reach me at Denise at onestreetcapital.com and our website, which just kicked off last week, actually, since we've rebranded is onestreetcapital.com. So you can go there. We've put together a sample investment package for folks in case they want to see the types of deals and types of returns and markets and teams that we target to work with. So yeah, we have that on our website as well.
1: Now is the time for a new website. Go check it out onestreetcapital.com. If you're on the sideline,
0: go check it out.
2: Yes, that's exactly right.
0: Thanks so much, Denise. Been a pleasure. Thank
2: you so much for having me. I appreciate it.
0: Thanks for listening in with us for another episode of the Crushing Cash Flow podcast. We have a small favor to ask of all of our listeners. Please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. Each subscription and rating will help us massively toward our goal of helping reach as many listeners as possible each week. Thank you very much once again for listening. We're thrilled to have you with us as part of this journey. And we can't wait to share more of these stories with you. Stay tuned for much more to come.